we pray. As we turn to the preaching of the word, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would overrule and overwhelm my mouth and my words. I confess that I am inadequate. And so I pray, Spirit, that you would come. Overrule and overwhelm my mouth and my words, our ears and our hearing. Help us, Lord, to hear that which you have for us in your scriptures, in your truth, and transform our lives accordingly. Holy Spirit, come and do your work in our midst for our good, but do this for the glory of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, if you were paying attention to the scripture readings this morning, you may have picked up on a recurring theme, the recurring theme of, well, okay, so let's read those scripture readings again, Steve Perticaro, yeah, the recurring theme of love. Boy, we are a forgetful lot, and we do have an increasingly short attention span, goodness, yeah, the recurring be patient. That's also a nice way. Boom, ching. I love it. Good job, Steve. That's right. This morning, as we read from Galatians chapter 5, as we heard from 1 Corinthians 13 and Matthew 22, that recurring theme of love. When we may think that we've got it all together, we may think, hey, listen. The scriptures are all about love. I love perfectly. Therefore, Father Caleb has a really short sermon today. It is Super Bowl Sunday, after all, and the kickoff show has already begun. Hallelujah. Actually, no, this is not going to be an incredibly short sermon, much to your chagrin, because we are a forgetful lot, and we have increasingly short attention spans. We frequently, maybe I'm only speaking for myself, I don't think that I am, so I'm going to use the royal we to include all of you. We frequently need to be pulled away from the distractions of life. We need to be reminded of fundamental truths about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about who we are and who we are supposed to be. And so sometimes preaching is reminding, and the preacher is a reminder, This isn't intended to be nagging. It's really just reminding us of what we already know as truth because we all need to relearn and remember things that we've buried or that we've lost or that we've corrupted or that we've intentionally amputated from our lives. And so today, as we turn again to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 23, there's a nice pink little card that should have been handed to you with your bulletins this morning. Allison thoughtfully created a little wonderful little memory verse card for you. Tim has one. Great job. But as we turn to the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, 22 to 23, we're reminded about an essential part, a a specific, important, consequential part, a non-negotiable part of the life of a believer in Jesus, as we are reminded about love. Paul writes, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so this morning, as we consider love, we will consider what it is, where it comes from, and what it looks like. And our big idea today, as you see it printed in your notes and quotes section of your bulletin, is simply this. The Holy Spirit conforms believers in Jesus into His image 
to love others. Folks, when it comes to understanding love, we English speakers are at a bit of a disadvantage. We have one word that is used to cover a wide spectrum of meanings and implications. For example, I may say, I love my wife, while in the very next breath I say, I love to smoke meat. Now, am I honestly saying that the love I have for my wife is the same as the love that I have for a hobby? I hope not, right? I Listen, smoked pork belly is meat candy. But it doesn't compare to the affection that I have for my wife. Another example, I can say I love my kids and also say I love to take naps, both of which can be equally true but are actually communicating something very, uh, very different. And so we use this one word, love, to communicate a whole lot of different things. We need to understand love biblically. The other part of this is that in our modern era, in the year 2020, the word love is just been culturally uh, infected with different meanings. Uh, I'm a product of the 80s and 90s, and so when I hear someone ask the question, what is love, I can't, I'm sorry, I cannot help but think of a Saturday Night Live skit with Will Ferrell and Chris Catan with this song, what is love? Oh, baby, don't hurt me. And these two knuckleheads are just bouncing their heads, right? Am I the only one? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Please, Austin, yes, thank you. Right? Or, or, or because, of, because I'm a child, again, of the 80s and 90s, I, think of, I hear of love, and I think of that wonderful scene from that fantastic movie where the, the priest is performing a wedding ceremony, and he goes, love, twoo, love. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Isn't that the princess bride? That some people know. Right? So when we start to talk about or think about love from a biblical perspective, we really need to begin by praying that the Lord would pour Holy Spirit bleach into our brains to get rid of the cultural accumulations that we've acquired. The first thing we need to do is say, Lord, just remove the stains so that I can understand what you mean when you say love. Because we want to operate as God's people. We want to operate out of God's understanding, not our own. So in Matthew chapter 22, Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40, we read of Jesus being approached by a representative from the Pharisees, right? These are experts in the law who send a lawyer to ask Jesus a question. There's a lot of jokes I'm not going to make. This lawyer was sent not on an objective mission to learn something. The scripture tells us they asked him this question to test him. That means for us that he had an agenda. He wants to trap Jesus by asking an open-ended question that could be answered in a variety of ways that would end up getting Jesus in trouble with somebody. This is that old tactic of give him enough rope, right? The lawyer wants to know, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? We're probably all familiar with Jesus' response here. You shall love the Lord our God, your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, this is the first, the great and first commandment. He, he's just quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And what Pharisee, what lawyer is going to object to that? The great law, love God with everything that you are. But then Jesus adds something, right? So, so Jesus actually responds with the clearest answer he's given so far in the book of Matthew, but then he adds something. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. He, he quotes from the Old Testament again. He quotes from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 8. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in that actual context of Leviticus 19, there's a whole lot of material that God tells his people Israel about how to care for people who are sojourners and strangers amongst them. He talks to them about, you know, when you go and harvest your field, don't harvest everything. Rather, leave some behind so the poor and the destitute can come and reap from your field and eat. And he couches these things about leaving something of your field for others to harvest. And he talks about not oppressing people. He talks about paying people a fair wage in a timely manner. He couches all of those terms in the simple fact, I am the Lord your God. And then Leviticus chapter 19, verse 8, this wider context, he summarizes it and says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus brings the attention of the lawyer, not just to the love of God, this sort of vertical movement, but it brings the attention of the lawyer, the Pharisees, and us to this horizontal love as well. He even says this is the second, is like it, as equally important as the first. It doesn't say this is one and this is two. Rather, this is one A and one B. And upon these two depend all the law and the prophets. And so when Paul writes to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 5 or, or, or 4 and 5, and he tells them in Galatians chapter 4, through love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then in his exhortation to walk by the Spirit, he says the fruit of the Spirit is love. He's writing here about this 1B, the second great commandment, the call to love our neighbors as ourselves. But what is it? What is love? Oh, baby, don't hurt me. I'm sorry. In the Scriptures, we need to find and define love according to the Scriptures. And in the Scriptures, in Jesus' words from Matthew 22 and Paul's Holy Spirit-inspired words of Galatians chapter 5, the word translated as love, the verbal and noun form of the word agape. Now, agape is a word that has been sort of handed into our Christianese or our churchese. It's a word that we hear an awful lot if we're in church circles, but maybe we don't fully understand what agape is. Agape is, as I've defined it here, love with deep respect that is full of thoughtfulness and concern for the object of love. And it always shows. It always demonstrates itself. So in Leviticus chapter 19, God says, love your neighbor as yourself. How? Making sure they have enough to eat. Not oppressing them. Paying them a fair wage. Now, we've said that the fruit of the Spirit are a beautiful portrait of Jesus, and we've said that the Holy Spirit's work is primarily about conforming us into the image of Jesus. So how did Jesus show love? A love that is concerned for the well-being of another. Well, the Apostle John states in 1 John, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Jesus showed his love by doing what? by dying upon the cross. And so what we're beginning to see, I think, is that, that the definition of agape has to, the definition of love has to include self-sacrifice, concern for another, being willing to give up so the other might have. We have to see that agape love is sacrificial and self 
giving. Leviticus chapter 19, the example of Jesus himself. Agape, this, this idea of love with a deep respect and a concern for another, it looks for the good and the preservation of the neighbor, whoever and wherever that neighbor might be. This kind of love, the love that is willing to consider the needs of the other first, the love that is willing to meet those needs through giving up of self, this kind of love is not natural, is it? It's only supernatural. The Holy Spirit then conforms us, believers in Jesus, into His image to love others. You see, at our most honest moments, we realize that when it comes to loving our neighbors, we're more like a man named Bob than we are Jesus. Bob wrote a letter to his neighbor. It goes like this. Dear Frank, we've been neighbors for six tumultuous years. When you borrowed my mower, you returned it in pieces. When I was sick, you blasted rap music. And when your dog went to the bathroom all over my lawn, you laughed. I could go on, but I'm certainly not one to hold grudges. So I am writing this letter to tell you that your house is on fire. <laughs> Cordially yours, Bob. When it comes to loving our neighbors, we're a little bit like Carl Sandburg, who once quipped, love your neighbors, but build a tall fence, right? We laugh, perhaps a little uncomfortably, because we realize that we don't measure up. We don't actually love like Jesus tells us to love. We don't love those around us, even our own family members, of our own friends with a sacrifice of self. Here's a silly example. Have you ever been to a church potluck and filled your plate to the brim and then discover that people behind you were left with only celery sticks? And not the good celery sticks with peanut butter and stuff in them, just a plain old celery stick. Ever, ever had that happen? Yeah. <clears throat> Another silly example. Have you ever been rude to an overworked server in a restaurant that was understaffed and overseated in Destin on July 4th weekend because the refill, refill on your Diet Coke was a little slow? Suddenly that it, silence becomes uncomfortable, doesn't it? Because we recognize we don't measure up. We don't love like Jesus tells us to love. Now, admitting there is a problem is the first step in finding a solution to the problem. The solution in this case, the solution to our lack of love is realizing that the love Jesus and Paul talk about comes not from within ourselves. It's not something we gen up, that we create, but it comes from an external source. It comes from God himself. Literature professor and author Karen Swallow Pryor, she equates agape love with an old word that's not used too much anymore, and that's the word charity. And she writes, charity, therefore, has its source in God. Such love is not natural to human beings, but is supernatural. It is a gift from God. And so to love the way Jesus commands us to love, we must have God working in us to transform us. It actually means we have to love God first. St. John, again, in his first letter, writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. 
In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, this is John's conclusion, we also ought to love one another. Craig Blomberg comments on this, that divine love issues in interpersonal love. Those who have received love from God are called to love God and neighbor. A wholehearted devotion to God, loving Him above all else with all that we are, the idea of self-sacrifice toward God reveals itself in loving our neighbor as ourselves. Loving a neighbor as a self is, is something that is grown within us by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Love is spirit fruit. The source of love of neighbor is a, design, a divine source. We act in love because we have been loved. And because the God who loves us is working within us to love. Agape love, as Jesus practiced and showed us, is self-sacrificial. It is other-centered commitment to the other for the good, for the sake of the other. It's perfectly revealed in Jesus. It is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit conforms believers in Jesus into his image to love others. Okay, we've seen what love is. It's an other-centered care and concern, self-sacrifice. We've seen where it comes from. We can only love as the work of the Holy Spirit is at work in us. But what does it look like? Can we say what love is by what it does? Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, shows us some characteristics of love, what it is and what it is not in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And he doesn't just launch into, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he doesn't just launch into this hymn on love. It's connected to what's come before. And when he gets to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he's got a list of things that love is and things that love is not. It's a sort of a bookend. There's positives, what love is. Then there's some negatives, what love is not. And then there's another bookend, what love is. It's really, if you look at this and you look at the whole letter of 1 Corinthians, the things that Paul says love is, is stuff that the Corinthian church is not doing in the first 12 chapters. And the things that the, Paul says love is not, those are the things that the Corinthian church was doing. So Paul here is actually rebuking, not congratulating the, first Corinthian, the church in Corinth. And Paul, writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he places love, this spiritual fruit, above the exercise of spiritual gifts. Look at the first few verses of chapter 13 where he says, Even if I speak in the language of, of angels, but I have not love, I'm nothing more than a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. He goes on to say, uh, If I have knowledge and prophecy, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Even if I give myself up to death and being burned up, but I don't love. For Paul, like Jesus before him, Love, this spiritual fruit, agape, self-sacrifice, is the main thing. And he tells us what it looks like. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. When Paul writes this, he's not writing a marriage liturgy. 
yeah, this is applicable to a relationship between a husband and a wife, but more fundamentally in the context of 1 Corinthians, this is what the relationship of church members should look like. And this is what the relationship of church members to people outside of the church should look like as we love our neighbor as ourselves. Just a few comments here, I think, are in order. Paul says love is patient. It was patient in two ways. First, love puts anger far away, refusing to exercise power to destroy an enemy. Anybody in here ever gotten so angry that you wanted justice? But by justice, what you meant was revenge? Just me, huh? Great. <laughs> love also, in it being patient, love also faces and endures suffering. Specifically, suffering that's caused by being in relationship with other sinful human beings. Patience. It doesn't demand retribution or vengeance. It quickly forgives as it absorbs and endures the pain of loss. Paul tells us also that love is kind. It cares for others. It puts that care into action. Being kind isn't just saying something kind. It's not just paying a compliment, but it's actually being kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love doesn't focus on the self's preferences, priorities, or desires. Love doesn't demand things happen according to its agenda in its timing. Rather, love rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Because love is first God-focused. Believing God's self-revelation found in Scripture and hoping in Jesus, the crucified and risen Savior. And from that place of loving God and hoping in, this, in the Savior, love bears and endures. To love this way, to live with this kind of love, requires us to be wise. It requires us to be aware. It requires us to consider others and their needs. It requires us to be in step with the Spirit. Or as Paul would put it in Galatians chapter 5, it requires us to walk in the Spirit. It's probably not specific enough, right? We're, we are a people who love to have the manual. We're a people who want to know exactly what it would look like to love X person in X situation, and we want to be able to pull that little manual out of our pocket and see a checklist of options and pick the option. That's not how life works. What does this love look like in real life? Well, we don't have the manual. We wish that life would be like those books that I used to read as a kid, a choose-your-own-adventure. Anybody ever read one of those? You know, you, you read along, and all of a sudden, you get to a point where you can make a choice. You can either join the pirate crew or join the Navy hunting the pirates. And if you join the pirate crew, go to page 73. If you join the Navy, go to page 85. In either case, you're going to die in the end. We want life to be like that. We want to know that if I do this, then that's going to be the loving course of action. But it's not that simple because we don't know in ourselves. We have to have the Holy Spirit at work in us, showing us, revealing to us, and empowering in us the loving course of action. St. Augustine put it this way, love and do what you will. Whether you hold your peace, through love, hold your peace. 
Whether you cry out through love, cry out. Whether you correct through love, correct. Whether you spare through love, do you spare? Let the root of love be within. Of this root can nothing spring but what is good. This is the kind of love Jesus has in mind in Matthew 22. This is the fruit of the Spirit Paul describes in Galatians 5. It is a being, a character of being where love is expressed. The Holy Spirit conforms believers in Jesus into his image to love others. So what are some implications of all of this? Jesus says we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. Well, how's that working out for us? Let's recognize just how much Christ is a part of this. He is the ultimate personification of love in 1 Corinthians 13. Jesus is revealed in this call to love. He is the one who is patient and kind. He is the one who never is envious or boastful. He is the love of the Father made flesh. and He shows us what love looks like. And then Jesus invites us to live like him. And at the same time, he reveals that we cannot. Folks, this is the gospel. It's actually really good news for us to recognize that we cannot love the way God wants us to love. It's painful to acknowledge, it's painful to admit that we do not measure up to the expectations and desires of God, that we have forgotten in word and deed the call to love, but it is good news as our need for repentance and forgiveness is revealed, and it is good news because the Father loves us, even us. Jesus died for us, even us, and the Spirit is available to work within us even us. This then brings us to the need for ongoing repentance and humble submission to the Lord as we seek His empowering help in the practice of love. Maybe this morning you need to confess that you've not loved the Lord or your neighbor as He intends. Maybe you need to repent of that, turning away from self-interest and turning towards God. If you do, you will find the Father awaiting to restore you. In that place, as we recognize that we haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves, we know that the Holy Spirit is available and willing to come and be at work in us, forming us into the image of Christ, that we might love others like Christ loves. And so the encouragement here this morning is to pray for the Spirit to help you love in the manner appropriate to the situation and context. Acknowledge sin and failure. Turn from it and turn towards the Lord. Receive His forgiveness and pray for the Holy Spirit to help you. Start at home. Among your family, your friends, and your neighbors, pray, Holy Spirit, help me to love my spouse with self-sacrifice, with my spouse as the center of my love. Holy Spirit, help me to love my kids with lack of self-interest. Help me to love my kids as the object of my love. Help me to give to them of myself. And then move outward. Pray, Holy Spirit, help me to love my church brothers and sisters. Help me to be patient and to be kind. And then take another step outward and and love your coworkers. And even love your boss. Be really nice. Allison, love your boss. (laughs) Take another step outward and even love strangers. And all along the way, we're saying, Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. The love that Jesus commands and that Paul describes is actually for our good. 
It is for our good if we love one another. It is for the good of the world for us to love one another. But it is also for the glory of God, as loving in this manner is evidence for the triune God. It is witness to the reality of Jesus, crucified, risen, ascended, and returning. On the night before his crucifixion, Jesus says this in John chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And here's the kicker. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. What kind of love? The kind of love that Jesus shows. A love looking for the concerns of others, the needs of others with self-sacrifice, meeting those needs with kindness and patience, forgiveness. And I wonder as I read words such as this, I wonder as I work on a sermon like this, I wonder what do people know about me? What does my love reveal about Jesus? And I can't help but wonder as I stand here and preach, I, what do people know about you by your love? And what do people know about us? Does the world know that we are Christ's disciples by the way we love? The Holy Spirit conforms believers in Jesus into his image to love others. And so let us pray in repentance, seeking forgiveness and the fruit of the Spirit to love our neighbors as ourselves for our good. But ultimately, let us love in the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I've said these things to you in His name. Amen. Holy and gracious God, we praise you. You are love. You are quick to forgive. You are slow to anger. And so I pray, Lord, that you would be at work in us. As we need to repent, prompt us to repent. As we need encouragement, give us that encouragement. Lord, help us to love as you would have us love. Grow in us this fruit by the power of your Holy Spirit, this fruit of love, and be glorified by us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing in praise to the Lord.